Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I am so excited today because we have USA Today number one best-selling mystery author Paula Mounier coming on to talk about her book, Borrowing of Bones and Blind Search, and Blind Search is coming out this week, new on paperback, and we're going to have an in-depth conversation with her, and since November is NaNoWriMo month for all of our budding writers, authors, editors, teachers, and agents who are thinking of penning their first novel, we're going to be talking about some tips for that as well. Now, before we do, I really want to thank our sponsor today, which is Swanson Health. And for those of you that are on your computer right now, go ahead and check out swanson.com, S-W-A-N-S-O-N, swanson.com, because if you're listening to today's show, you're going to be able to try any of Swanson Health's great 18,000 products for yourself if you use code MAMAS20. Now, I'm going to spell that because it's spelled a little different. It's M-O-M-M-A-S-20, like the number 20. And you will get 20% off site-wide and get free shipping on orders of $50 or more at Swanson.com. Now, I have in my hot little hands here, you can hear me rattling all my bottles over here, because Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins, supplements, food and beverage products, healthy home products, and self-care products for over 50 years. So that is a really good track record. Now, they offer full spectrum of wellness products for mind, body, and home, They have quality vitamins, supplements, cruelty-free beauty items, eco-friendly home products, and Swanson Health is here to keep you healthy. Now, I live with my 87-year-old dad, my two kids. I'm a single supporting mom, so I really care about not only where my money goes, but if I can trust the label information and safety of products. So I need to make sure that the company is is testing these to make sure that they back this strict quality standards that I have that is also the Swanson quality code. Swanson is committed to purity and potency. Now, what does that mean? That means from the raw ingredients to the final product, they rigorously test their products internally and externally for that purity and potency. Now, they carry over 18,000 wellness products at a great value, and you can pick up all your favorite health products, plus find out some new ones for your 
wellness routine, all while leaving some money in your pocket. Now, Swanson Health ships orders all over the United States and Canada and even internationally. Now, I buy, I have it right here so that I can share with you. I'm not going to endorse anything I don't use. I use their Super Stress B Complex. I use their Ultimate 16 Strain Probiotic with FOS for my digestive health. I like their elderberry extract that boosts my immunity, my immune health. And finally, because I'm hitting at that age where vision isn't so great anymore, I'm using Swanson's Synergistic Eye Health. They they help with just so much with my body, and I can trust that Swanson Health has my back and that I am actually getting what I pay for. So if you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use that code MAMAS20, that's spelled M-O-M-M-A. AS20 for 20% off set wide and free shipping on orders of over $50 or more. So go check out swanson.com. You will be glad you did. Now, we have our featured main attraction coming up. Her name is Paula Mounier. She is USA Today's number one best-selling mystery author. She is also a lady who wears many hats. She is a writer, She's an editor, she's a teacher, and she's an agent at the Talcott Notch Literary Agency. So she really gives a lot to the budding author, the budding writer, because she has experience in all of these major areas. She also is the author of the Mercy Car series, and the third in that series is coming out on March 21st, and she has Blind Search finally coming out on paperback. So for those of you that didn't want to uh, purchase the hard copy, the paperback has just come out. So go ahead and check out that wherever books are sold and make a note that The Hiding Place, which is the third in the series, the Mercy Car series, is coming out in March. That's March of 2021. So depending on when you're listening to this, March of 2021. Now, we were also talking about it becoming NaNoWriMo month which is why we are featuring all these writers, because it is the National Novel Writing Month coming up in November. And I was on there, Paula, and I was looking at some of their great source of articles. You know, they have tons and tons of resources. And I always thought, like, great authors were great readers. But what I'm learning is this art of storytelling. And great authors, I am understanding now, are great storytellers. So I would love for you to weigh in on that. Uh, Paula Mounier, check her out at paulamounier.com. What do you have to tell me about great authors being great storytellers? Well, I think that's absolutely true. Certainly, that's how we become storytellers, right? We read stories in the middle and we hear stories read to us we fall in love with the storytelling process and then we grow up and want to tell stories of our own and we all have stories of our own I do think that you know this idea that writers are only observers is not true I think a lot of writers are really out there living life you know they have something to write about because they've lived life and, and they've experienced all kinds of things. So I think it's a combination of both. I think it's a, a combination of living life, having all these experiences, being open and going for broke, and also paying attention so that you can recall how you felt and what that place looked like and how the characters that you were involved with operated and how you interacted with them. And all those things feed into your imagination and they come out as a brand new story. 
Well, and I love that you talk about the focus on emotion because, you know, when you look at, at a lot of adventure novels and a lot of, you know, um, like the, the stuff my kids like, you know, there's really no, there's not so much emotion in a lot of the different pieces. There's very little emotion in video games. There's very little emotion in action films. You know, there's some, but I think a really great novel digs into the depths of a character. And I want to talk about the creation of a character today because you created the Mercy Car Mysteries. And Mercy, where did she come from? Is she you? Is she your sister? Like, is she a composite of every powerful woman you've ever known? Like, where did she come from? I, I think she's all those things. Certainly, having grown up in the military, uh, I did not go into the military myself. Uh, but had I been born a little later, I may have. And she was a you know, military policewoman, fought against her family, who were a family of lawyers who wanted to become a lawyer. She didn't want to do that. She wanted to be in law enforcement in the military like her, her grandfather. And so she's tough and she's resilient. That's why I made her a New Englander, too, because New Englanders have to be tough and resilient just to survive the weather. <laughs> and so... All those things play into her character. The New Englanders I know, the military men and women I know. And also, you know, she's young. So she's 29 in the first book. And so, you know, she reminds me of my daughter and her friends, you know, mm -hmm. and my granddaughters. You know, they're, they're tough in a way. And they're, they're open-hearted and compassionate, but they're also made of, of tough stuff. And I think that's what I wanted. I wanted a woman like that. And of course, we know lots of women like that, right? Well, we do. We do. And I think that's what makes her such an attractive character because she's definitely not a wilting lily or a damsel in distress. And I think that's one of the things that really turns me on about a character is when a character goes for it. You know, a character has gumption. And um, there's a lot of times that I take my, I take my own hesitation and look at what characters I've read in books and thought, well, if they do it. I could do it. You know, Absolutely. what if, you know, what if, what if I was that character? What if I was that person who did that? And I think that's where the adventure begins for not only you, but for your reader as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we love about reading great characters is that, you know, we walk a mile in their shoes and that gives us a new perspective on ourselves and on the people around us. Well, and I think too, the, the idea of like, what would I do? You know, what would I do? Like if I was faced with, you know, with, with some of the things that mercy was faced with, what, what would my response be? And I think that's really fun. There's that voyeuristic aspect of reading a book and seeing a character, maybe do something that's so out of character for you, the reader. But when you see it happen, you see it come to fruition and kind of have that conversation with yourself that's like, hmm, you know, I wonder if that would work for me. Exactly. And you wonder, would I be that brave? Would I be that cowardly? And in, in, in some cases, would I be that honest or dishonest? You know, when you're talking about not just a heroine who's full of good qualities, also some faults, but mostly good qualities, strong moral yep. And all that, but you also have your villains who do, you know, they operate on the darker side. And so they give us another look into character to say, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. 
I wouldn't do it that way, right? And I hope I would do it this way, the way the heroine does. So that's the fun part too of mysteries because you know it's life and death. It's people pushed to the edge where they'll commit murder. It's people saving those from the kind of people who commit would commit murder. So you you really have the extremes of emotion and extreme circumstances that would really cause you to go right or go left. Who are you really? Right. Well, and I think that that's good for people who are a study of behavior. Like, do you like to study people's behavior? I certainly do. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was an army brat and I went to 12 schools in 11 years and I was an only child. So I didn't have brothers and sisters at home to play with. So I had to make friends and I was always a new kid at school. And so I was always paying attention to how the other kids behave and right down to their accents. Not that it was even a conscious process, but if I was in Georgia, I couldn't talk like I just stepped out of Maine (laughs) You know, and then when I left Georgia and went to Kansas, I couldn't talk like I did in Georgia. So I think you become a kind of chameleon in a way, adapting to these new environments. And so that's fun, a fun basis for being a writer, because I can adapt my characters to these new environments and and become a chameleon. I think there's a little bit of me in every character and a little bit of the people I know and love. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's interesting because, you know, when you look at these characters, really good, well-drawn characters are real, you know, like, like mercy. I mean, like you could bring mercy over to your house for dinner, like set a table, you know, for mercy to come and, and enjoy with you. And do you find that your characters, once they become that fully evolved entity, Do they take on a life of their own? Do they ever fight you with dialogue? Do they ever fight you with, you know, I'm just curious. Well, in in the new book, The Hiding Place, I know that Mercy was very unhappy with me because (laughs) (laughs) I know she must have been because I have a a point in which the book in which one of Elvis, Elvis is her her, uh, canine companion. He's a canine working dog. He was a military working dog with her in Afghanistan. And, and uh, he was her fiance, Martinez, who died in the same battle that wounded her, was Elvis's handler. And the last thing he says to, to Mercy is, take care of my dog. So she comes home. She finds him because he's one of these defense contractor dogs who's abandoned in a shelter. So she has to find him, bring him home to Vermont. And the two of them have to, to you know, come to terms with their grief and their new life as civilians together. But in The Hiding Place, one of his other former handlers. Ooh, before you give away this secret, I want to take a minute just to interrupt you. And I want to thank our sponsor today, which is KiwiCo. Now that's spelled K-I-W-I-C-O, KiwiCo.com. And if you use promo code Motherhood Talk, like our show, Motherhood Talk Radio, you're going to get 50% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate, uh, on any crate line, actually, with code motherhood talk. So while I'm telling you about KiwiCo, I want you to go check it out. So it's K-I-W-I-C-O.com KiwiCo. And with the holidays looking kind of different this year, I'm always looking for great new 
products and toys and things to give kids because I have not only my own children, but I have nieces and nephews and I actually do some daycare after school. So I have a lot of kids on my holiday list and they really range in age. So if you think it's impossible to get kids to put their cell phones or their video games down and do something that good for their brain, you will be glad to look at these products. So go ahead and go to KiwiCo.com. Now we put together this glow board LED, what is it? I forget what it's called. The glowing pendulum. Like how cool does that sound? And we put it together and it did take two of us to put together. What I really liked about it, I have it right here is the instructions are not only in color, but they show exactly where to put things. Like when you assemble the LED arm, it tells you the parts you need and pictures of them. And then it puts it together in step-by-step -step instructions. And each step has instructions. So it is actually really pretty easy for younger kids to put a project together that <laughs> I kind of struggled with. Um, there was also on the site this marble timer that I have my eye on. So I can't wait to go check out that. And what I like about KiwiCo is your kids can get super cool hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to your door each month, which you know how much kids love to get things in the mail. And so while we may not as a family be able to go to fun places for the holidays, you can give your kids and your whole family this woo awesome experience at KiwiCo. And unboxing one of these little crate kits is just as exciting as receiving it. And everything is inside. Like when we put the pendulum together, the only thing I had to do was grab a couple soup cans to kind of, you know, we had to put like heavy items behind the board to kind of help it stay upright. But that's nothing. I mean, everything comes in the kit, which, you know, I love kits because then you don't have to go out and buy all these things and put them together. They're all in one box. And one of the things I'm thinking about is starting a new tradition with these boxes, because in the past we've done a family puzzle. I buy a puzzle each year and we put it on the table. Everybody sits down, we make some cookies and we put this puzzle together. So I'm thinking how fun would it be to start a new tradition with one of these kits because they are super cool. I encourage you guys to go and check it out. So KiwiCo, K-I-W-I-C-O.com. They are redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. And there's something there for every kid, or if you're like me, a kid at heart, at KiwiCo. So go and get 50% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line with code Motherhood Talk, like today's you know show is on Motherhood Talk Radio, at KiwiCo. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com, KiwiCo.com. Use that promo code Motherhood Talk and show your support for today's episode and get a super, super cool make you the best mom ever or the best aunt and grandma ever for coming up with such great ideas for your kids. Now, uh, one of the things that we were talking about before I interrupted Paula was this big like ooh moment that is coming up in her book. So, so what can you tell me about that? A man she knew nothing about shows up and wants Elvis back. <gasps> right. So that's a huge thing. And so I know, I know Mercy was screaming at me the entire time. How could you do? You cannot take my dog. Do not take my dog away from me. Oh my gosh. That is yeah, I would, I would, you know, and I'm kind of mad at you now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to read the book. Yeah, but I have to read the book. 
read the book, but I'm like, you know, you fall in love with, you know, I fell in love with Mercy, you know, and borrow bones. I mean, and then like, you know, it's like, no, you can't do this to my precious girl. Like, give her some good. Well, you know, that's the trouble with being a writer in, because they say that what you're supposed to do is, is take your character, your hero, your heroine, put him up a tree and throw rocks at him. Yes. Right. The bigger the rocks, the better the story. But sometimes we don't want to put our characters through that much, but we really have to for it to be a dramatic, compelling story. Well, it's true. It's true. You know, I I read recently, and I interviewed uh, Karen Kingsbury, and she's a, you know, New York Times bestselling author. And, you know, I love her and we have so much fun. And she sent me her book and I was reading it and I had to finish it the night before the interview. So I'm staying up late, you know, and I'm like, and I couldn't skim it because I, I really got involved in the story. Like I'm no longer skimming. I'm actively reading and I'm looking at the clock. It's 1130, 1230, 130, going back and forth. Then I start to cry at one point and I'm like, Karen, please don't kill her. Please don't kill her. Like I was so mad at Karen. Like, and it was funny because in the morning I fell asleep. I wake up, I texted her. I said, I'm so excited to talk to you on our interview today. Thank God you didn't kill so-and-so. Like, I don't think I could interview her. Like I was literally mad at her because I love this character. And I'm like, no, she can't. Like, no, it was really funny because I would do that to you too. I'm like, Paula, why did you do this? Well, that's how we feel. You know, once, you know, hopefully we, we, as readers or as viewers, we put ourselves in, in the character's place. I can remember when I was pregnant with my last child, it was Chico, California. It was very hot. It was 105. It was August. And the new Cape Fear had come out and I was watching it. And right about the scary, there's a scary scene with the girl and um, Robert De Niro in, in a Candyland set on a stage. And, and I got really scared and I went out to this poor guy serving popcorn, this young teenager. And I was nine months pregnant and I was hot and I was sweating. And I said, you tell me right now if Jessica Lange or Juliette Lewis dies, because if they die, I wa- I'm going to leave this theater right now because I'm too pregnant to watch that. <laughs> I scared him to death. And he said, oh, it's okay. It's okay. okay. No, I mean, because you really do, you know, really great emotion. You are there. You are part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the the catharsis, right? That the Greeks talked about in their plays. That's the essence of drama, that it's a cathartic experience. And that's what you're hoping for. Well, yeah. And, and you're hoping too for a little bit of healing. You know, I was listening to an audio book recently and the, the wife in the book was an abused wife. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't call myself a domestic violence survivor, but I will say that I, I struggled with domestic violence in my marriage before I got divorced and my kids were small and the scene had, it was like they were in my kitchen, you know, my, she's holding the baby. I'm holding my son, you know, the, the, my little toddlers watching TV, the toddlers watching TV and dad's yelling and screaming and throwing things. And, you know, mom's protecting the baby. And honestly, Paula, I couldn't sleep that night. Like it brought me right back. I was, you know, 12 years ago, standing in my own kitchen, protecting, you know, my, my child from, from their father. Um, And it was so, so frightening to me that it took me the whole night to get myself back to where I was. But what was great about that was then I sat down with my journal 
And I wrote all about that because I really didn't realize I still had stuff stuck in there that needed releasing. Absolutely. And, and writing is such a great way to pour your emotions out on the page and then diffuse them. It helps diffuse them and process mm -hmm. them. It's such a great therapeutic tool, not just, not just a, a creative tool. Do you find when you're writing, do you pull from, like if you're writing a sad scene, do you pull from a part of time in your life that, that was sad or are you just so involved with your character that you feel their sadness? Yeah, I think it's a little of both actually. I think there are some things like you say, some scenes that hit so close to home in, in terms of my personal past that I can't help but, but, use some of that you know it helps to, to to call on that and then other times it's just that I love these characters they're certainly real to me and so when they're in danger whether it's physically emotionally spiritually I, I feel that I feel that yeah I mean that's hard I mean that's you know and so then what do you do like you you just finished writing this scene where you know Mercy's running for her life like you can't just go in and like order a pizza and you know pop open a soda and watch an old episode of Friends like what do you do with that like after you've just had that emotional experience yeah that's true I mean that's why I think the farther I get into the book because the deeper you get into the story the more conflict there is, the more danger there is. Mm. And so I think that's why by the time you get, you know, through the middle, you're in the middle, you're just barreling towards the end. And part of that is you, you're looking for that release yourself, yeah. the release of the anxiety about the characters. And then you tend to rush it. And that's why when you go back, you have to really work on that last, that last ending because you, you, you've rushed it on purpose just to get through it you know but you do kind of it kind of stays in your head you live with these characters um and 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 that's why i wonder how writers who give their their endings you know such hard endings difficult endings you know throw the book across the room kind of endings i wonder how they process those endings oh, me because too you know, I think that would be really, really hard to yeah. write those kinds of endings. I mean, I don't, I write, if not happy endings, hopeful endings. Hopeful. Yeah. Right. Well, um, that's it. You know, like when you kill off a character that you love, you know, and I, I, I think back to like, I used to work for the studios you know, I worked for DB, CBS and I worked for Bold and Beautiful, Young and Restless. And every once in a while they would kill off a character and I'd be so glad because the actor actress was such a jerk. Like I'm like, <laughs> ah, you, know, you fell down an elevator shaft. Bye. Um, <laughs> But then there were times when they killed off someone that I really liked, you know, and, you know, and there were times like they wanted to move, you know, go on to other projects. They didn't want to be tied to the day in, day out dailies, you know, but it was, I always wondered, like, what did the writer feel when they have to kill off someone that's beloved? I don't know. I mean, you look at someone like George R. R. Martin, who over the course of the Game of Thrones and that series, he kills off. Oh, yes, fabulous, fabulous characters. I mean, characters that the readers love. I mean, I think, I guess it's just because he has such a huge cast of characters, he gets away with it because there's always new characters to care about. But oh my goodness, you know, I couldn't believe, no spoiler alert, but at the end of, you know, in the Game yeah. of Thrones, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. 
that happens over and over again in his work. So I think sometimes I'm, I err in the other direction. I'm not hard enough on my characters. And so as, as the series continues, I have to come up with new challenges and find new ways to be tough on my characters. Yeah. Yeah. Without killing them. Right. 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 You know, or, you know, the, the other thing too, is without the, the trait, like let's give them cancer and then they get better. You know, like there's certain things, I mean, there's a use for cancer in novels. Like I get that, but you know, there's times when you can tell a writer cheaped out on something or they really gave them some, some good thought to how to unravel this mystery or how to, you know, I think of, remember the old, um, uh, dynasty was it dynasty or or was that the one set in texas and bobby wakes up and it was all a dream dallas. 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 Yes. that was dallas like i knew like those one or two i was really young when they came out and i just remember my brothers and sisters and my mom going oh that was terrible to find out it was all a dream that was so cheap and i didn't understand what that meant until you know now i've read enough books to go like wow so when you're plotting like like when you did the Mercy Car first one, did you envision it would be a series? Well, I, I knew, I hoped it would be a series. I mean, you know, by day I'm an agent and I help, help writers sell their work. And I always tell my clients, the answer to, is this a series is always yes. <laughs> so, even if you think you've written a standalone, um, it's so great for the readers and for the writer. If, if the publisher wants to continue to the series and make it a series. So I didn't necessarily set out to write a series. I had no idea what, what I was going to do in book two. I mean, as I'm writing book one, you know, and then same thing with book three, after every book you, you, you say, Oh my God, I don't know how I managed to do that. And then when you start the next book, you think, Oh, I forgot everything I ever knew. You, it's kind of this, re-entry every single time with every new book that's interesting I, I would figure somebody probably plotted it out on this like master screen of like you know and then this chapter and then this book and then this um I think there are people who do that but I'm not one <laughs> one book at a time that's one book at a time okay that sounds good well we're we're coming into you know as your your paperback is coming out this week uh, blind search will be available on paperback so for those of you who have been waiting for the paperback copy go ahead and grab your copy um, we're also entering into the NaNoWriMo month of November, where lots of hopeful, young, old, black, white, pink, purple, everything writers take up the challenge of writing 50,000 words in a calendar month. That turns out to be about 1,600 words a day. So have you ever done NaNoWriMo? Well, you know, I have not done it all the way through because November is a hard time. For me, I have the New England Crime Bake, which is a mystery writers conference I help run. And of course, I have Thanksgiving. And if you're a mom, you have to, you know, there's a lot of preparation. With yeah. And, and with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming, all that stuff. But I, I belong to a writers group. And what we do, they also have a July, like summer NaNoWriMo cabin summer camp. And I've done that. I've never really managed to write 50,000 words in a month. That's a lot of words, especially if you haven't plotted out the book really in a really detailed way. And even then, um, and I tend to plot my books out pretty, pretty carefully, but 
to turn out 50,000 words in a month is quite an accomplishment. And I really admire those who can. A lot of times they're just writing. And, that, and, and I think as an agent, a lot of times I can always tell when NaNoWriMo is over because I get a lot of manuscripts in December <laughs> that I shouldn't <laughs> be getting because they're really not ready. You know, it's, right. it's a really rough first draft and then you need to go back and revise it. And I'm very big on revision. For me, the first draft is just getting it down so I can fix it. Right. Well, I, I, I did a bunch of shows with Joel Fotinos, who was the president of Tarcher Perigee. And he gave me the best piece of advice. He's like, Sam, you can't fix what isn't written down. So just start. But I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. So let's talk about plotting because you have written the happiness book, which is part of like positive psychology. You've got, you know, those books there. And then you have your, your mercy car mysteries, which is very different. So how did you plot? Like, do you plot out your, your fiction, your nonfiction the same? Well, nonfiction is a little different with, in, with nonfiction. You know, you're going to write a book about topic X and you have to figure out a way to bet, to organize the material and to step the reader through whatever you're trying to mm -hmm. communicate about that topic. So it's a little simpler in terms of its basic elements. Whereas fiction, there's all these things to keep in the air. There's character, there's setting, there's description, there's inner monologue, there's action. You know, there's just so many, many balls to keep in the air. And I was always a huge mystery fan. And then I was always afraid to write a mystery because of the plotting aspect, because it's, it's in, in a mystery, you have two plots. You have what actually happened which is one plot, right? You know, the actual murder or how it happened and who did it. And then you have what you tell the reader, which is not what happened, but it's the story of the sleuth discovering what happened. So you have these two plots mm -hmm. at odds through the whole book. So I was intimidated by that process. So I didn't write a mystery. When I, and then after I wrote a book on plot, <laughs> I wrote, you know, plot perfect. I thought, okay, if you can write a book on plot, you should be able to plot a mystery. <laughs> so I just followed my own advice for once. And that helped me um, plot Mercy Carr. And, and part of that was just sitting, it's a brainstorming process. You know that there are certain scenes that have to be in the book. Yep. If, if you're writing in a given genre, like if you're writing a romance, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. You know, that's the basic plot. You know that there should probably be the meet cute, the first kiss, the first fight, the breakup, the reconciliation, maybe the wedding at the end. You know, you have these elements of plot that you, you need to work into the story. And then you just have to sort of figure out the connective tissue between those parts of the story, the beginning, the middle, and the mm -hmm. end. So that's what I did. I followed my own advice. And I wrote a bar and the bones that way. I used my, my index cards and my plot points. And, and I just sort of figured out where I was going and what I wanted to happen. And it was, it was really an interesting process. And it was very informative to me. It doesn't necessarily help you write the next book. <laughs> because every book, you give yourself a bigger challenge mm -hmm. in terms of the storytelling itself. So you know, what, what you did write in the last book doesn't necessarily help you in the new book. 
So let's talk about the Plot Perfect book, because I think as people are getting ready for the NaNoWriMo, um, or maybe they're in the first week of it, or maybe they're listening to it for next year, thinking this might be something they want to do. Let's talk a minute about the Plot Perfect book. Well, I think if you're going to do NaNoWriMo, you should have a list of scenes that you know you want to write so that if you if you get stuck and you don't know what those 1600 words are going to be about, you can just write a scene that you know is going to be in the book, even if it's not the very next scene. So that's how you can avoid getting stuck, right? So if you sit down now before NaNoWriMo starts on November 1st, sit down, write out those big scenes that you know are going to be in the book and then just brainstorm ideas for scenes. I do it on index cards. Some people use Scrivener, right? And just write down ideas for scenes. And when you have about 60 scenes, a short novel is about 60 scenes. Most novels are between 60 and 100 scenes. And when you have a 60 cards, you have 60 scenes. And then if you get stuck, you can just pull out one and write that scene. So I think that's one way to keep going. That's the way I keep going. When I, I, I know I come to a little bump in the road, I just go up a block, take out a new <laughs> scene, write that scene, and then circle back. So I think that's one way to get through NaNoWriMo, because I think the hardest part of NaNoWriMo was knowing what to write every day. Sure. Well, and momentum, you know, to create, I mean, that's what NaNoWriMo was designed for, was to help writers create 30 days to make a new habit, make daily, you know, writing habit. And that's the funny thing, um, Paula, if, I know our readers can't or our listeners can't see this, but I've been working through this tried and true, you know, the artist way, you know, the companion journal. And I, when I first uh, was contacted to talk about NaNoWriMo on my radio shows, I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. And then I looked at my morning pages journal, you know, three pages a day, handwritten, 360 words a day. I'm like, I'm already writing 1,200, you know, in this Julia Cameron's um, The Artist Way, which I think is worth doing. I think everybody should do it at least once in their lifetime. And I think everybody should have a copy of your Plot Perfect book, especially if they're going to do NaNoWriMo. Absolutely. I'm a huge Julia Cameron fan. I've actually taken her... Her, I have the, the books and I've taken her workshop twice, once 30 years ago and once not too long ago. Um, I took it at uh, Kripalu and it was wonderful. I mean, I think this idea that you just have to, like you say, it's a habit, right? It's a practice. Writing is a practice. And yep. if you do it every day and you just get used to the idea of writing down your thoughts and emotions, that's half the battle. Because you can figure the rest out. It's right. Like, it's like Joel said, you know, you can't fix a blank page, but you can fix page with writing on it. Paula, I have so enjoyed having you on the show today. We have just had such a great time. So for the budding writers out there, go ahead and check out NaNoWriMo. It starts in November. It's every November. So if you miss this November and you're listening like in August or in January sometime, just know that it comes up every November and it's free and you can go sign up at NaNoWriMo.com. That's N-A n-o-w-r-i-m-o.com NaNoWriMo and if you want to get a hold of any of Paula's books go ahead and check out her website Paula Munye P-A-U-L-A 
M-U-N-I-E-R, paulamunier.com. She's got events. She's got, you know, blogs. She's got her books on there. You know, there's never a, a, a lack of things to do on that website. And check out swanson.com. Go ahead and get your vitamins. If you're looking for those kits, those were at kiwico.com, K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Paula's books are so good. Make sure you go out and buy all three of the Mercy Car series, Borrow of Bones, Blind Search, and The Hiding Place, which is coming out in March 2021. I'm not sure when you're listening to this podcast, but will you come back to listen to us next week? I sure hope you do. If you look for shows in our past, we have interviewed Karen uh, Karen Kingsbury and her new book, Truly, Madly, Deeply. We're here for you. We're here to provide so much goodness for you. Won't you come back and listen to us again? We'll be back again next week on Motherhood Talk Radio. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.